Um, we have been going through Malachi for several weeks now. This is the fifth week, and then we are concluding uh, with chapter 3 and looking at verses 13 up until chapter 4, uh, verse 6. We're looking at God's word from Malachi. Um, this is how God has been speaking to us for the past several weeks. Today, um, we will be looking at Malachi chapter 3 up until chapter 4, and the title is Remember and Repent. Remember and Repent. Let me take this time to welcome our visitors, um, uh, feel at home and get to know them as well. Uh, Let me also remind you, um, during the week I've been sending emails on... um, uh, the membership forms. I've been emailing the membership forms for for those who um, express their desire to join the the church to not to commit to the local church. And uh, if you haven't gotten your form as yet, um, I have a couple of forms that I've printed out. Uh, so see me after church. We are also um, looking forward to starting our Bible studies again. We're still in a time that is uh, precarious at the moment, um, so we won't be able for a couple of uh, probably weeks, several weeks not to meet uh, physically, so we'll do our Bible studies online during the week, so it will be Wednesdays um, starting again on um, the third uh, week of, of February, um, in, on, on, on Wednesdays, that's when we will be starting our Bible study. And today, as you can see, we will be having communion, which we haven't done in a couple of uh, months, um, as you know, because of the state of um, how things have been going. So um, prepare your hearts even for communion, even as we look forward to uh, remembering the Lord in that way. Malachi chapter 3, remember and repent. Let us take this time and draw near to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, what a joy it is to indeed know that we have a Father who speaks, a Father who listens, a Father who cares. You are not like the idols of the world that, are, that have mouths but do not speak, that have ears but cannot hear that have feet but cannot uh, move. We thank you that you are with us always and your love is expressed to us each and every day by how you continue to draw us to yourself. We have looked at the message of Malachi as the prophet speaking through you, calling us to return to the Lord. And as, as we conclude, we pray that our hearts will be led to... Um, appreciate your truth to love it to act on it in Jesus' blessed name we pray Amen Amen I believe that the two greatest events in the history of the world are first seen in the coming of Christ by his birth and the second coming of Christ which we earnestly long for. These are the two events that hold the course of the world. Christ really is the greatest um, 
the greatest to ever uh, in, be encountered by the world. Even historians, secular historians, cannot uh, do without Christ. They um, look at the world through the uh, time frame of before Christ and after the death of Christ. And the Christian faith, the events that matter the most is the coming of Christ in his birth and the second coming of Christ, which we look forward to. When Christ came the first time, he came as a gift from God. God offered this gift to anyone. Actually, the the reason that the gift of God's Son is so good is because none of us are good. We are all sinners. It, It is good because we cannot do anything for ourselves. We are hopeless. We are hopeless. And the the, the coming of Christ uh, when he came the first time was the, 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 the light that shone in darkness and brought us hope. But, but to anyone who believes that they are a sinner in need of mercy, to anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, to anyone who believes that he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, to anyone who believes that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life is available for you. That's what Jesus came to give us at his first coming. But when he comes the second time, Jesus will bring different things for different people. Some will receive deliverance and others will receive judgment. Some will receive what they want. Others will receive coal, so to speak. But the different gifts won't be based on whether you are, you know, naughty or or nice. They won't be based on that. The different gifts will be based on whether or not you have faith in Christ. A faith that proves itself by faithfulness to Jesus. Uh, Please turn your Bibles again, as I said, to Malachi chapter 3. This morning we come to our last passage in the book of Malachi. The Israelites... In Malachi's day, were waiting for the coming Messiah, and they thought that when he 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 came, he would bring deliverance to all of Israel. He would bring he would deliver them from their enemies, and they thought that they deserved this deliverance. What they were looking forward to was political deliverance to deliver them from the Roman. Empire, But Malachi gives us a fuller picture here. When Jesus came the first time, he came to offer salvation. But it wasn't salvation from our external enemies. It was salvation for our internal sins uh, because all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. But when he comes a second time... On that great and awesome day that we uh, love to talk about, he will also bring judgment on anyone who hasn't repented of their sins and turned to Jesus, even on those who think they've been nice, even on those who think they belong to God. We should be waiting for Christ's return, shouldn't we? But as we wait, brothers and sisters, we should remember that Christ has done what Christ has done to save us from our sin and we should live lives of repentance that's how we prepare for his second coming 
Malachi chapter 3 verse 13, I read from verse 13 up until chapter 4 verse 1 to 6. I read from the ESV, follow me as we hear God's word. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and, 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 and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in, a, in the day when I make my treasured position. When I, ma- when I make up my treasured position, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Now chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all evildoers will, will, will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the store, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statute and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is God's word. This passage is divided into three parts. It gives us two types of people. First of all, in verses 13 to verse 18 of chapter 3, two destinies of these two types of people in chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, and two witnesses that point to Christ and teach us to remember and repent. To divide our time this morning, I want to look at two types of people, two destinies, and two witnesses. Two types of people, two destinies, and two witnesses. Let's start with the two types of people in verses 13 to verse 18. When, when evil seems to prosper, it becomes hard to serve the Lord. Hard times test the people who claim to belong to God. Those who really do believe in God's promises will be faithful to God, even when all around them gives way. Those who only lip service to faith in God will, will fold like a cheap tent when the storm of life comes. There are two types of people, even among those who claim to know God. In verses uh, 13 to verse 15, we see the first type of people. Look at, look at verse 13 to verse 15. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? 
You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge as or of working as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They were the people in Malachi's day who were saying it's vain to serve the Lord. They didn't fear the Lord. What that means is that they didn't worship and obey God. These people saw evil all around them and concluded that it's futile to serve God. That they gave up being faithful to God because they believed it wouldn't do any good. They believed that evil will triumph regardless of whether or not they serve God. We see this throughout the book of Malachi. Israel is unfaithful in their worship, unfaithful in their practices of divorce and marriage, unfaithful in showing justice to others, and unfaithful in their giving. We saw that last week. Their refusal to serve God in the midst of difficulty proved that they didn't actually belong to God. But in verses 16 to 18, we see a second group of people. These people resolved to serve and fear God even when things were hard. In verse 16, we see that these people put together a book of remembrance. This was, not, was most likely a covenant renewal document like we see in Nehemiah chapter, chapter 9 and chapter 10. Remember, in chapter 8, they hear the word of God. They are convicted. In chapter, ten, in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, they repent. In chapter 10, they make a commitment to God. <coughs> they renewed their covenant with God by looking backward and looking forward. They look back and remember the ways God has been faithful in the past. And that gives them hope for the future. God had been faithful to bring them out of Egypt. God had driven their enemies out of the promised land. And even after they had been faithless and, and they were sent into exile, God had brought them back to ex- from exile. God had been faithful in the past, therefore God will be faithful in the future. Even even if the cloud of darkness were all around them, and this hope was the basis for their renewed commitment to to be faithful in the present. And isn't that how we minister to ourselves in moments of difficulty? We look back and see how God has been faithful. We, we read his word and we have this testimony of faithfulness, of an unfailing God. That, that God has never failed his people at any point in history and he will not start by failing with me. You, you, you even look at your life and, and look at the difficulties that you've gone through. And at times when you face those difficulties, you, you probably thought, I can't make this. I can't make it. I, I don't know how I will make it, but you are here. You are here today. You are here because of the faithfulness of God. The only way we can look at the future with confidence is to look back with meditation. 
to meditate upon the ways of God. Meditate upon the faithfulness of God. Meditate upon the fact that God is an unfailing God and He will never fail. Didn't we see that last week? In chapter 3 verse 6, the fact that God does not change and He will not change. The unchangeableness of God is where our confidence lies. Amen. God is faithful. God said that these people were actually His people. Look at verse 17. He says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. This is a distinction even among those who claim to know God. We see this in verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. We see the same thing today, don't we? Throughout the history of redemption, God's people have faced opposition from the world. And in the crucible of opposition, the true people of God have been proved. Those who believe in God's promises have hope, and that hope enables them to be faithful to the end. And what exactly gives God, God's people, hope in the midst of hardship? What, what is it? Why have hope in the midst of hardship when you are in pain? Pain from loss, pain from sickness, pain from difficulty. What, what gives you hope? Why should you have hope? It's by remembering. Remembering that God keeps his promises. There's a friend of ours who lost her husband um, recently from COVID. And uh, my wife was speaking to her and she says, I don't know how I'm going to do this. What I know is that I am in pain. But I also know that God is faithful. God is faithful. Remembering that God is faithful is the lullaby that quiets our raging souls. God's been faithful in the past therefore he will be faithful in the future the, 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 the most prominent example of God's faithfulness in the past is seen in the first coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas Jesus came and died for our sins and God raised him from the dead we need to remember this this gives us hope for the future one day Christ will return to deliver his people from their enemies and make everything right but in the interim period God's people are called to be faithful to God 
And this promise is designed to help God's people endure. In this world, there are temptations, brothers and sisters, to, to, to give up and to stop being faithful. Only those who prove their faith in God really belong to God. Think about the example of a married couple, right? What are the things that people usually look at to tell that these people really love each other? What, what are the things that we look at? Our social media age has conditioned us to think that you, you can see it in the good times, in the special Valentine's preparation after church. Please save me. <laughs> the, the love lives here, Instagram posts. But you really see it in the hard times, don't you? It's the people who love their spouse in health and sickness to prove their faithfulness. It's the people who love their spouse for richer and for poorer that prove their faithfulness. People who stay together whether money is coming in or is not coming in. People who stay together whether they are going through sickness or not. It is the people who stick together through the hardships and the difficulties. This is when we see love shine and truly uh, we see the brilliance of God's love displayed in these people. It is those who stick together during these times that prove their love for one another. The same is true in our relationship with God. We prove our love for him through faithfulness to him during difficult times. No, not just when things are going well in our lives. Only those who prove their faith in God really belong to God. And when Christ returns, he will deliver those who have proved their faith through faithfulness. But, but those who claim to, to know God but unfaithful to him don't belong to God. By their unfaithfulness, they prove that they never belonged to God. Remember, brothers and sisters, that when we stand before Christ on that last day, we will either hear one of two things. Either well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I never knew you. Which one will you hear? Which one will you hear? We prove our love for God through faithfulness, even in the midst of difficulty. And when Christ returns, he will deliver those who prove their faith through faithfulness. But those who claim to know God, but unfaithful to him, don't belong to him. And when he comes, he will not spare them they will face his judgment. The, the one group will receive good, good gifts. The other will receive coal. And that brings us to the two destinies of these two groups of people in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. The two destinies described in these verses are drawn out of metaphors of fire. For the first group, their destiny will be a consuming fire. 
like a burning oven. Those who do not serve God and do not fear his name will be consumed because they are like stubble, as verse 1 shows us. This doctrine of judgment is not popular, is it? You, you hardly hear it these days. It's, I, I was once invited to a church in Runbeck. And uh, someone actually saw, saw me on Facebook and they uh, did a conference and they invited me and I gladly went to preach. And I, I preached, I was the first to preach and then someone came and I was preaching about sin and, 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 and God's judgment. And that person came and said, we don't talk about God's judgment. That time has passed. Now t- t- speak good things. The, the doctrine of judgment <laughs> is not so popular anymore. But let me say this, brothers and sisters. Just because it's not popular doesn't mean it's not true. We can ignore it as much as we want. It is true. And one day we'll stand before God to give an account. In fact, when, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, the first thing he did, the first thing he did was question the doctrine of judgment. He said to them, you will, you will not surely die. If you eat of this fruit, you will not die. He, he tries to question the, the, the doctrine of God's judgment. But the repeated message of the, the scriptures is that those who do not belong to God will face eternal judgment. I know this does not bring the money, right? <laughs> but it is true. And that judgment will come on the day when Christ returns. The great and awesome day of the Lord. So, so the first destiny described in these verses is the destiny of hell. They will receive coal. What is coal used for? It is used for burning. It is used for burning. The second destiny is also described in terms of fire. But it's a positive picture. Not a negative one. Those who fear God's name, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings. I love this phrase. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The, the imagery of the sun is also an image of fire. But the sun gives light and, and heat. It's good. And when Christ returns, he will bring the son of righteousness. And all of God's people will be healed from sin and the effects of sin forever. The wicked will be no more. The wicked will be trampled down. And they will be like ashes under the soles of your feet. Only those who belong to God will be delivered from evil. All people want deliverance from evil that surrounds us. Who doesn't want to be delivered from terrorist attacks or crime? Who doesn't want to be delivered from these bad things in the world? But that deliverance won't ultimately come until Christ returns on the last day. 
And it will only be given to those who have been delivered from their own evil and sin through Christ's work on the cross. You see, let me say this. I hope I don't digress. Before the saints receive their crowns, they must look to the cross. The cross before the crown. The cross before the crown. Everybody seems to think that they are nice and deserve nice things. You will hear it with, I don't know with the older generation how, how, that, how they will answer that question. When, when, you, when, when, when you ask this present generation, tell us something about yourself. Well, I'm, 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 an, I'm nice, I love people, uh, you know, I, I love going out. And, and, and so they say all these nice things about themselves. But the repeated message of the Bible is that we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And without Christ, we are lost in our sins. If we want to be delivered from evil... We must admit that we are sinners. Turn from our sins and turn to Christ for forgiveness and life. And this brings us to the two witnesses of chapter 4, verses 4 to verse 6. The two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. These two witnesses teach us how we become the people of God. They teach us how to fear God and how to serve Him. They teach us the only way to look forward to the coming of the Lord with hope and not dread. They teach us how we can receive good things when Christ returns instead of coal. It's not only through being naughty or nice, it is through looking to Jesus. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. The the law, if you remember, laid out the covenant God gave his people. It laid out God's commandments that God's people were to follow. The prophets indicted the people for not keeping God's law and called them to repent and return to God by keeping his law. The, the, The book of Malachi continually is continually indicting Israel for not keeping the law of Moses. And it's continually calling them to return to the Lord so that the Lord will return to them. So, so it makes sense that the last words of the book of Malachi would end with Moses and Elijah. And it makes sense that the last, last words of the Old Testament would end with Moses and Elijah. But these last words point us to the good news of the New Testament, don't they? Those who live on the side of the cross know that nobody can keep the law. Let me give this illustration. There was this man who, um, who um, committed himself to keeping the law. And he concluded that the reason he's not keeping the law is because of the people that he's living around. Then he made this plan to build a house on a mountain. 
and he took supplies to that house and he took a bucket of water as he was taking a bucket of water he arrives he locks the house and then he starts thanking God that he's far from sinners and from now on he will keep the law of God and as he stands up from kneeling in prayer he he um, touches the bucket and it falls over and the water spills and what came out of his mouth cannot be repeated on the pulpit he discovered at that moment that the problem is not out there but in the heart the reason we are living lives that dishonor God is not because the people around us are are, are, are making us dishonor God it is because our hearts are fallen nobody except for Jesus can keep the law Jesus didn't come to abolish the law he came to, to fulfill the law and the prophets right this is we see in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 it's only through Jesus that we have any hope of a relationship with God it's no surprise that when Jesus was transfigured before Peter and, and, and James and John that on the mountain of transfiguration who appeared Moses and Elijah that was one of God's ways of saying that all of the law and the prophets point to Jesus he's the fulfillment of all of God's promises and when God spoke out out of the cloud of the mountain of the transfiguration what did he say this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased listen to him listen to him if we want to be delivered from evil we have to know God and if we want to know God we have to look to Jesus we have to keep our eyes fixed on him and we have to listen to him as his disciples we are called to obey every word that he commands us this is how we prove our faith in God and so uh, uh, how do we come to know God we have to remember the new covenant that was sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. We have to remember the gospel and believe. We have to turn from our sin and, and, and turn our hearts to God. We have to live lives of repentance. That's how we prove our faith in Christ. Remember and do what? Repent. We come to know God through remembering the gospel and repenting of our sins. And that's also how we get ready for the second coming of Christ, isn't it? That the question before us this morning is whether or not you are ready for Christ's return. Are you ready? When a couple prepares for their wedding, oftentimes they forget to prepare for the marriage. In the hustle and bustle of preparing for the wedding day, it's easy to get distracted and not spend adequate time getting ready for faithfulness in marriage. And I'm, I'm realizing, even in my to be four years in marriage, that premarital counseling has been one of the greatest gifts given 
for our marriage. That we shouldn't just prepare for the wedding day, be, you know, um, consumed by the hustle and the bustle while we are neglecting the fact that the wedding is just one day, but marriage is forever. The same is true with our anticipation of Christ, isn't it? In the hustle and the bustle of the, of, of, of the everyday working of life, we need to set aside some time to get ready for Christ's return. Remember the gospel and all that Christ accomplished at his first coming. But also remember that he's coming again. And we are called to live lives of faithfulness and repentance when he returns. And when it's hard. Even when it's hard, we are called to remember these things and remain faithful. Are you ready? Are you ready? The way to get ready is to remember and repent. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who came to provide for us salvation through the cross. We also thank you that you are preparing us for the day when he comes again to bring us into his kingdom. Pray that our hearts will be ready We pray that those, Lord, who do not know you yet will will repent of their sin, turn to you, trust in Christ so that they can be prepared to receive Christ with joy rather than with wailing and regret. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.